Before we begin, a disclaimer. This podcast is for information only. I am not a mental health or medical professional, nor are my guests unless otherwise stated. My guests and I do not speak for or represent any recovery programs or workshops. I do not sell ads on this podcast, and I do not make any money from it. And finally, I want to warn you that some episodes may contain content about emotional, physical, and sexual abuse, which some listeners may find triggering or dysregulating. Hello, and welcome to the Loving Parent Podcast. If you're new here, this is where we explore the ideas of becoming our own loving parents and reparenting our trauma to build resilience. If you've been here before, welcome back. My name is Brita, and I'm your host. In this, our first episode, let's start by defining who or what a loving parent is. Webster defines a parent as one who begets or brings forth offspring. And loving, I really like this definition in Webster's. Affectionate, painstaking. And the definition of painstaking is expending, showing, or involving diligent care and effort. Let's go one layer deeper and define diligent. It's steady, earnest, and energetic effort. This is the loving parent we all deserved, and it's the loving parent we could be for ourselves. It'll take time, energy, and consistency. We will make lots of mistakes because we are human beings. In my words, a parent is an adult who monitors safety and provides consistency, who shares love, and who teaches. A parent supports children through rough times instead of trying to give them blissful, carefree fantasy childhoods. So what happens if we don't get calm, consistent parenting in our early months? We become fearful and uncertain. We may not form the critical bonds with our parents, which come from having our needs met lovingly. This is the simplest kind of trauma caused by stress which accumulates over time. For instance, if a baby is not fed when she makes her hunger known by fussing and crying, her brain will trigger the release of stress hormones. These chemicals will get her pretty amped up until she's screaming. If this ignoring of her needs happens often enough, it begins forming a pattern of repeated trauma in her brain, releasing stress hormones more often than are really needed. She also has needs for quiet sleep and a clean body. Maybe you've seen the blisters and open sores on babies' bottoms caused by certain kinds of diaper rash. The sight of it and her screams can be heart-wrenching. Or, for a parent whose own childhood needs weren't consistently met, they can cause a release of stress hormones, which make that parent confused, nervous, and angry, triggering feelings of helplessness 
and low self-esteem. Now we have lots of stress hormones swirling in this room and some very stressed out people. One a child and at least one adult child. In other words, these parents are acting out of their own childhood trauma and passing it on to their baby. The solution is reparenting, parenting again. I want to share with you a recap of my journey to become my own loving parent. I remember how I felt when I began my recovery as an adult child. I was in my mid-30s and about to end my second marriage. I was an alcoholic, married to my second alcoholic husband. Both my parents were alcoholics, as well as two of my grandparents and various aunts, uncles, and cousins. Before I found recovery, I had already started trying to parent, and I had abandoned my first two children. They were born only 16 months apart. I was so overwhelmed and scared, being the young wife of an entry-level military enlisted man, away from all my family and friends. I had a high school diploma, few job skills, and this abusive husband who hit and raped me. I had no experience with babies and had only a shiny new paperback copy of Benjamin Spock's Baby and Child Care for Guidance. And I drank. I was truly an adult trapped in childhood reactions. I thought I was a decent parent, but I was parenting myself exactly as I'd been parented. I had no idea that I couldn't meet my own needs because my parents hadn't met them consistently when I was little. I had no healthy role models. As a matter of fact, my mother's early married life in the 1950s mirrored my own. So did her childhood in many ways. Her mother had abandoned her in her early years. She was shuffled from relative to relative during the Depression and war years and passed on to me the inconsistency and stress that she absorbed as a child. She and my dad taught me fear and violence, caretaking and denial. They hit me and belittled me in their attempts to build my character, quote-unquote. As adult children have done for millennia, I passed these patterns on to my first two children, with almost no changes. I'm sure you've figured it out by now that dysfunctional parenting, like shit, rolls downhill without intervention, which wasn't really available in those years. Parents simply passed on the dysfunction that was done to them. Eventually, I found my intervention in recovery. I had two more children with alcoholic husband number two. I was in slightly better circumstances financially. My third and fourth kids were born four years apart, and my second husband was only psychologically and emotionally abusive. I wasn't quite as overwhelmed as I had been with my first two kids. I had gained a few job skills, 
and had a copy of a parenting book by very forward-thinking authors, Rudolf Dreikers, M.D., and Vicki Solis, R.N. It was called Children, the Challenge. From this book, I learned about discipline as teaching, not punishment. I learned that hitting children teaches them to react with violence when they're upset. And I learned about consistency. I tried really hard to implement these new ideas, but I kept slipping back into old dysfunctional patterns. Those slips allowed me to beat myself up over and over and to blame the kids for my failures. And the cycle continued. I drank less, but my husband drank so much I was afraid he would die of alcohol poisoning. I remember trying to stay awake at night to be sure he kept breathing. I was anxious, depressed, and exhausted. Not a good recipe for healthy parenting. My husband and I eventually both got sober, and I started attending various meetings. I was introduced to a program of recovery for adult children when my mother went to an inpatient treatment facility in 1983. My sisters and I went to family week, and in one session, a counselor passed out a paper called The Laundry List, containing characteristics of adult children. There wasn't a big deal made of it. It was just one of many handouts. But when I read it, I had what I now call a spiritual awakening, one of those aha moments when all the parts of me seemed to align with the universe. I remember thinking, so that's what's wrong with me. I was really excited. As soon as I got home, I found the few recovery meetings in San Diego and I started going. I loved them. I gained insights from listening to the trauma of others. I found comfort by sharing my own trauma and releasing some of my stored tears and feelings. I also read the many books that came out in the 1980s about adult children, and I attended talks by their authors. I started to see that my problems with out-of-control feelings of anger, fear, and frustration, plus rock-bottom self-esteem, were related to the parenting I got. This explained why I had so much trouble trying to use the new parenting information I'd been reading about. It wasn't the kids causing my problems. It was me. It didn't take me long to realize that I was acting out my own childhood wounds, fears, and stresses, my trauma, on my kids. I had no idea how to stop. I had some knowledge, but strategies for implementing it were missing. My first steps were practical though I figured out that I was re-traumatizing myself many times a day with my critical self-talk. I could also see that my husband was only too happy to join in and blame me for the problems in his life. I made a considered decision to divorce him. 
The day he left, I cried with relief that so much of the tension in our house was gone. I also took my children out of an abusive, scary school and put them in a kinder, gentler one. In a handout that was the answer to the laundry list characteristics called the solution, I came across the term reparenting and the idea of becoming my own loving parent. I understood this as breaking the parenting patterns of my life. And I knew I had to reparent my kids too. I had to start from scratch to learn how to stop criticizing myself and them. I had to stop seeing the parenting of all of us as a have-to. Instead, it became a get-to, a choice that I made many times a day. I can choose to parent, and if I need a break, I can ask another responsible adult to take over for a few minutes, a few hours, or forever. I continued going to various meetings, seminars, and workshops, and I started going to therapy. I was able to implement a little of what I was learning with the kids, but not much with myself. How in the hell do I parent myself? At one of the workshops that I attended, I met my inner child for the first time. Through a guided meditation, I was asked to relax and imagine a safe space. Sit down as the adult me and invite the little me to join me. A hesitant little five-year-old showed up in my safe space. I sat quietly, afraid to talk. She eventually climbed up in my lap, put her arms around my neck, and said sadly, Where have you been? I held her and cried until it was time for her to go. I promised to find her again, which I have many times. As I came out of the meditation, it hit me. I'd abandoned myself. I'd been trained by my parents to abandon myself, to become a caretaker for others, to deny my own needs and feelings. And their dysfunctional parenting had accomplished its goals. I was all of those things. Now I had another child to reparent, little Brita. In another workshop session, I was asked to make a list of my needs, physical, intellectual, emotional, social, and spiritual. Now, I'm pretty smart, and I was embarrassed at how few needs I could identify for myself. Luckily, I was in a group of folks who felt the same, and we decided to brainstorm needs a person might have. It took me a while, several months in fact, to personalize these needs. It was easier to see it in my kids. I had to meet some of my needs when I met theirs. If I fed the kids, I fed myself. If I made play dates for them, I tried to socialize with the other parents. When I validated their feelings, I tried to validate that I was proud of myself for consistently trying to be a better parent. I remember the first time we went to the beach to play, and I didn't yell at them about all the sand in the car on the way home. 
I rejoiced in the fun we'd had, and I saw the sandy car as a symbol of that fun. While their needs had to come first, I saw that by meeting some of mine, too, I was giving them a role model of a parent who took care of herself. They would not be trained by me to abandon themselves. I was reparenting all of us, and as I saw the results, my self-esteem began to grow. What were the results? We all became noisier, and then eventually calmer. Our behavior definitely got worse before it got better. Feelings in our house were no longer shut down. We were all very noisy and unconstructive about how we expressed our anger, fear, and sadness in the beginning. My six-year-old could push every button I had, and as soon as I disconnected one, he'd find another one. After I learned about Eric Erickson's stages of human development, I could see that it is during our toddler years that we're supposed to start learning about expressing feelings. Fortunately, I had one, a toddler, my two-year-old. If I could stay out of the way that little person would teach me about feelings and how to express them. I learned to validate those feelings without judgment. I see you're angry, I'd say, or you look so happy. I tried to teach the words for the feelings. My only intervention came if there were physical safety issues. Temper tantrums were validated. Watching and learning from this little one, I started expressing my own feelings and encouraging my six-year-old to do the same. We were very messy with our anger, even scary, but we learned to say, hey, don't take your anger out on me to each other, and to apologize for overreactions, as I'd learned to do in workshops and meetings. This is the practice of amends. I made amends to the kids constantly. I made amends to those I'd hurt in the past. I made amends to the people in stores and airports I'd treated rudely in my anger. I learned to look myself in the mirror and make amends to myself. To others and myself, I'd say, I apologize for whatever I'd said or done. What I wish I would have said or done is and I'd state the behavior I was trying to learn. I knew I had to retrain my brain to form new neuron pathways. Acknowledging the new behavior that I wished I had done began forming these new pathways. I was steadily, earnestly, and energetically reparenting. And it wasn't long before I heard the kids validating and apologizing to each other. Not often, but it happened. I learned to bite my tongue when I wanted to criticize myself, the kids, and others. I passed out praise and validation as much as I could. I made lots of mistakes, but I was determined to learn this new way of parenting myself and my kids. I caught myself in some pretty harsh self-talk and I would take a therapist's advice and pay myself three compliments every time I beat myself up. 
So was I a perfect parent to myself and the kids? Definitely not. I think, I hope, I was a good enough parent. I know I've broken many, if not most, of the parenting patterns I grew up with. I know I've developed new neuron pathways in my brain, and I believe I started some good ones in my kids' brains. I think they got to adulthood with more self-esteem and resilience than I did. Sometimes my brain pops right back into the old trauma-ingrained neuron pathways that were formed so long ago. I get triggered or dysregulated, as the neuroscientists say now. I act without thinking, a childhood reaction. I lash out and say hurtful things. I get caught up in drama or caretaking. I forget to meet my own needs. It doesn't happen often, but often enough to remind me how my brain got formed and trained. It helps me have compassion for myself and for others I see acting out. I make my amends to those I hurt and to myself. I again start meeting my own needs, and I move on. Looking back, I think it took me about five years of dedicating many of my waking hours to this reparenting work to get pretty good at it. And I've been able to keep it up now and keep learning for almost 35 years. I love sharing what I've learned with those just starting out on this journey in hopes that you might find a few ideas and tips for your own reparenting process. Thanks for joining me for this episode. It was produced by me, Brita Firm, and edited by Vaughn David. Our music is by Emmanuel Wilde. If you like what you heard, please leave a positive review and tell a friend. Also, tap subscribe and notifications so you won't miss a single episode. Remember, as you walk your reparenting path, you can take your time. You deserve all the love you want, and my love goes with you.